Thank you. Dr. Adrian Mitchell. He's an obstetrician gynecologist. He works by Winchester Business and he's doing an enormously fantastic job. I send all my patients to him. Welcome, Adrian. I, don't, I hope I never laid it on too thick, Adrian. No, 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 no. Thank <laughs> So I just wanted to, in the spirit of what I'm trying to do here, I was trying to clarify some of the basic things. And if we can go any deeper as we had discussed, in our, our pre-meeting, that would be great. So just to get the ball rolling. So although it, it, I, I believe it's still topical to talk about COVID-19, I just wanted thoughts generally. And in terms of your area, I have a few follow-ups uh, that uh, things I've been seeing, but what do you think, how we're doing? Any thoughts at all you have on the matter? Um, well, well, to be, Ethical and politically correct. Um, I am. I am glad that we are kind of over a hurdle, and, and it has affected a lot of people permanently. A lot of people lost loved ones, and lots of people still are suffering symptoms in various different ways, both men and women and kids, <clears throat> from having caught COVID. But I think the most important thing is um, resuming a normal. I would say. Um, so. Um, overall, I like to tell people definitely get your two shots. Um, definitely be safe if you can wear your mask. Um, more importantly, do follow up advice from your clinicians and um, be current, be current, be current. And it's important to understand that everybody's affected, you know? So be compact also. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with all of that advice. I try and share it as well. Do you, as you said, to be political correct, we're coaching our words as much as we can, but uh, how, how do you think we've done as a country compared to the planet? Or wow. do you see any way, I mean, being, you know, just want to hear your general thoughts, you know, about, about that, that aspect of things, how we handle it, uh, if you think we could have done better or worse, and so on. During the pandemic, um, if you ask me this question, I, I would have a different train of thought. Right. After coming over the pandemic and you kind of have a more clear perspective on what it's what, what the virus is, what it can do. And also the mere fact that no matter how hard we try, how many resources we had, death would have been inevitable in a lot of ways. And as much as we want to say that it would be preventable, there would have still been those who unfortunately wouldn't be here with us today. So I still do think that with what we had here, um, I'd like to applaud the physicians and nurses, the support teams, supporters, everybody rallied around in the access to care um, because we did the best what we could do with the healthcare system we have. Uh, you asked me about what else could the government have understand that um, the infrastructure and funding it would uh, it would have been nicer to have more cash on hand to do more but you know we got a lot of donations we got a lot of people chiming in in terms of helping <clears throat> with providing ventilators monitors so it did kind of show us kind of um it did show us sorry our support system and what we have and what we can do when we're asked um i think yeah. During the pandemic, I was a little more distressed as a physician and a doctor because a lot of hard work. Um, we lost a lot of colleagues. And um, I, I think to this day, I think that um, a lot of the staff, doctors, and all those who were 
frontline workers were underpaid. And I think that that's something that I'm, I still hold dear to my heart and I would like to go on record about that. I think that the phys everybody should have been paid a lot more because we really risked our lives and we could have not been here like a lot of doctors. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. And I try to share very, as you to be, uh, and uh, my thoughts have evolved like yours. I, uh, it's a very impressive thing to us, I think. Uh, certainly you still, I should say, still work at university. So I have a connection. Well, you know, all of us have connections to hospital. Uh, there's one, uh, my wife's good friend who works at KPH ICU. And she's an anesthetist, and it's really impressive the amount of, frankly, mortality, fatalities, whichever words you want to use. It's really these people just coming in and just going. Into, it's really so. If it wasn't, I suppose at this stage, we'd all have somebody that would have lost somebody, but really, truly, I was very impressed. And therefore, I think some of how even me myself just talking about myself how I delivered the vaccine message could have been better thinking about it no but I think it was really not trying to be negative to anyone it's just uh, the passion and the the realities that basically were affecting my colleagues you know it's really and then based on what I do for a living where people coughing on me I'm a GP as you know so it's like people coughing on me every day I'd be thinking about these things you know <laughs> just like just a fairly impressive thing, you know. So, but it's, um, I tell you, one of these things. I know we have this monkeypox thing that we have to consider now. So, yeah. That, yeah. But I should, maybe I should date the sense it's the 10th of July and we have one <laughs> as of now. I don't know where we're going with this one. A year, two years from now, you know? Yeah, exactly right. But what I, I, I'd wanted to get into, I just want to hear your thoughts and how, because. I think this is still a challenge for some some other patients. When some of my feeling patients would get their vaccines, first and second dose, they would get this abnormal uterine bleeding. So I was just wondering, I took a little look at it in the literature and I don't see any clear reason for it. That I, I, see, I see there are some theories, but firstly, is there anything concrete out there as to why it happens? And secondly, what and how should they deal with it? For example, should uh, would they be comfortable with the GPC in that, or would you like to see them, or can the patient do something by themselves, that kind of thing? Okay, so that's a lot of questions at once. So the first, right, sorry, yeah. <laughs> the first thing I'll answer is that yeah, I do agree. The literature on it's um, not 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 the highest grade, but still out. Um, it does show that the vaccine does alter women's cycle. Um, the, the truth about it, you know, we don't know what else they can do because I mean, it's still ongoing research. So I like to tell patients to reassure them that fine, the few that I've seen, I've, I've been able to help them and coach them to get back regular cycles. Um, did it cause permanent effects to change their cycles? No, it was temporary. And, um, I think more important having a conversation with a physician, GP, OBGYN, you know, once you have a conversation with them, they, 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 we, we are equipped well enough to do that. Personal views on whether I should see somebody who has been, a, who has had a regular period all her life, received the vaccine and her period went off. I would like to say to my colleagues that once adequate investigations are done to rule out polycystic ovarian syndrome or other causes for abnormal uterine bleeding is done and all are normal, I mean, it's fine to put the patient on birth control and get the period back into where back into a, a desirable 
rhythm and move on. But I don't think it should be referred. I think it should be referred in a case where you put the patient on a birth control and you realize that the, the period is still not getting into a rhythm or you're doing the investigation and realizing the patient does have elements of PCOS or hormone imbalance or clinically, you see signs that this patient does fit the triad for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that's when I think at that point, you should pass it on to someone who spends a little bit more time doing it um, because then I guess we can dig a little further into other things that PCOS can cause. But off the bat, no, I think, um, I think as physicians, we're all qualified well enough to help those out who are affected by the vaccine causing irregular period. Uh, excellent. Thanks so much, Adrian. I just, genuine, genuine curiosity with that one. And just to follow up, and if uh, we're not putting you on the spot too much, but if you can, I don't need to quantify, but any average length that that issue would occur. So I get these people that say, okay, I got my vaccine. How oh, and this bleeding thing is going on for, let's say, a month? Would Should they look for something like a you know, is there any duration that we can look for or say to patients or? Good question. You know, um, I like to tell people, I mean, this is not even textbook because it's so new and right okay. and, and topical and in vogue that, I mean, we could all make up our own management. But um, overall, as I said, you know, fine, a month has passed, a period, she notices that that cycle is irregular. Um, it depends on the patient because if the patient is bleeding a lot, has symptoms of anemia, I mean, you should intervene. But if it's that she notices that the spotting is just irregular, um, you may want to deal with it on an individual basis because let's give you a scenario. If it's a young patient and she's like, doc, I can't predict my period, mess up my clothes, it's becoming now a social issue. Right. On top of the fact it's medical, you may want to quickly want to put that patient on birth control because then now there are other elements that make a woman whole and you're talking about the psychosocial aspect you know you don't want to quickly and oh no it's fine you know because then it's very frustrating as a woman to go out in public and all of a sudden you have spotting on your pants or on your pretty white dress mm -hmm. that's not what woman wants to feel confident about because then no that patient may now change her attire because she's unsure of when something will happen so i'd say it should be done on an individual basis based on your patients as the answer judicially where they should wait a month, three months, I say, talk to your patient, give them what they want. So if a patient says, hey, I'm fine, waiting it out, work with her. Now, if three months pass and her period has not come around, then you may want to intervene by doing hormone testings and those things and also offering her the birth control pill. But do it on an individual basis. That's my take on point, you know? All right. Well, uh, all right. Excellent point. So I uh, thank you for that one as well. Just to, and to follow up that, do you, do you or any other gynees have any preference for any of these? I'm assuming you mean OCPs, uh, birth control pills. You have any preference, any brand, any, for example, a lot of patients like Minigyn on, I don't know why, but seems to get a lot of attention or I guess the pricing and all of that. And so I just wonder if you have any particular uh, I know that the, the constituents are different depending, but any, any particular one you you guys prefer? Okay, um, good question. Um, I would say to in this form, I would say I don't have a brand preference. Right. Uh, birth control pills are we do interact with different individuals differently, and you want to find one that works for you. So I wouldn't go behind any brand and say, okay, this works mm -hmm. for most patients. Mm -hmm. uh, 
for instance, if we're if me and you're having a casual beer on the road, I'll tell us a boy, this is what I use. Right. But in this I'll tell um I'll tell all my patients, you know, have a discussion, yeah, an active I mean, discussion with your doctor. When I say the term active, right, that excellent. means that, you know, because uh, as you know that there are these individuals called uh, what do you call them now? Reps. <laughs> that bring these brands to us and there's one part, particular popular brand with a very kind of pricey product that they claim mimics the circle you know you know this one and it it's really for my social economic area it's a bit of a challenge so whenever they come with that one i said to myself whoa that's going to be if that is three thousand times twelve that that would add up so th those are some factors that do affect me i must admit you know what, what about that and I, and I can go on record for this is that um, that marketing statement is wrong because we have to keep in mind that each individual is made differently so you cannot no, no matter how good you think you are in getting the exact amount of estrogen and progesterone a woman makes each woman makes a different amount a different time a different point at different points in their menstrual lifetime and it's a lifetime because in the 20s the estradiality secretes is different than what is secreting in the 30s and the 40s, and also so is the progesterone level. So that statement also I probably would not accept from anybody. I'd look them straight in the face and say that's not a very good marketing statement to do. Right. To say. So I would say the same statement I stand behind, and that's why I made that statement, because I've been approached by medical reps with um, their own products, and they do understand me and my mom's take that... Um, you have to be very careful of what you do say to individuals and patients. So we don't stand behind any marketing personnel who says that this is ideal for all women. That's that's incorrect. And also we're talking about region. We're talking about ethnicity. It's all different. So there's no birth control that's perfect for every woman. It's individualized, you know? Yes, excellent. Well, I, I thank you. I'm going to share that the next time they come back because they tend to come fairly often, you know? No, that, <laughs> of fear and um i would say you should promptly put a person in their place because no they're not spreading things that are true and that can also put um you know patients in a bad situation where they they will know and i, and I said this very boldly they will not look on themselves and say doc is something wrong with me because you know told me this mimics my cycle and it's not working for me is it that something is wrong with me so you should tell him, listen, what you're seeing is wrong. We had a formal discussion with somebody who's qualified to say it. And remember, each woman is different. Each woman secretes a different amount of estrogen. And no matter how much you do the studies to say, oh, this is the, the mean number. Keep in mind, the mean is the average of different people. So oh, I, 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 was, I would hesitate to say, you know, they're correct. Thank you so much, Adrian. Uh Along those lines, and uh, since we're in the abnormal uterine bleeding area, do you recommend if they say, well, I don't want to do the pill, and this being qualifying that we have done our investigations and we can't really find anything on the surface really wrong. They don't mind taking birth control. They would like to do one of these other things, injection, what, what have you. Would those work just as well? Would you be happy? Okay, good question. So let's be specific. I guess when we have this forum, we can talk right, about it. Right, right. I was trying to be as general as possible, but exactly. No, I have to shoot the bird. Right. Um, so if it's progesterone injection, which we use for contraception and also mm -hmm. to control uterine bleeding, we have to be careful because also the side effects should be discussed with the patient. 
um, weight gain is a big thing when you're keeping people long-term on uh, progesterone. So fine, if you want to use it just to stop abnormal bleeding at this time, you have to remember, you have to look for the reason why the patient was bleeding. And if it amounts that there is no medical finding and you want to blame it on the vaccine by exclusion, that's okay. But I don't think the patient should be on it long-term without the effects, the side effects being discussed with the patient. And that's my... That's my honest take on the injectable being used in that sense. There are there is one particular strong company in this area, and there is an expensive three-month injection. By inexpensive, I mean the government purchases that one, and this is right. a common one. And right. there's a one-month injection. Of those two, I always wonder which because as I'm as I understand that market that's a mass produce made for really third world market the way how they get the pricing down. I just wonder if if it is that based on its constituents is the one month better in terms of less side effects, uh, infectivity and so on, or and that uh, that being messy guy you now and the three month. I don't mind saying being deeper provera or um, I would say um the messy guy now. Wow. You're hitting a nail on the head. Um, I myself, as a physician, have a little problem with Messiana sometimes. Um, but as I said, it goes back to my original statement about the OCP. You know, okay. it will work. It may not work for some. So if you find that you have an issue with Messiana, you may have to go to the brand. Okay, I see. I see. Official as a as a colleague, I'll tell you that. I mean, I use Messiana a lot. Right. Uh, it does work for some of my patients, and those that have breakthrough bleeds are not satisfied. I transfer them to the brand. But I'll tell you upfront when we talk about dollars and cents, especially in a pandemic, a recession that we're edging on, and you tell the patient the price upfront, they look on the answer, don't give me the injection again. It's okay. Exactly right. And I do get, for example, I I I don't know if I'm wrong, and I think this conclusion is from medical school, Adrian, that I really like the idea behind the cup of tea. I like the principle. I know there's some issues with it. But the, the not, excuse me, the non-hormonal aspect. I mean, it's if you don't like putting them in, there's that if you're the, the person doing it. But I think that, uh, and there are some issues with it. But uh, I really, I, I, I like that one a lot. When I when I try to sell that one in my practice, it it, it doesn't really go down well. Quite frankly, said so, no thanks. You know, they they heard it came out this and all that, and so I need to. Based on, you probably done much far more than I have done. And in fact, I called you about something earlier. But have you seen other issues with the cup of tea? This is, okay. the, yeah. So, um, very good topic. Um, let's start with the cup of tea. I like it because it's cost effective. Um, right. it's, uh, you go to the Jamaica Flying Planning Board, it's, they'll, they'll give you the device free. They'll have to pay a fee to put it in. Um, what I'll say about the cup of tea is that just like anything in life, it's just like, for instance, if you eat patty every day, you're going to end up with um, excess fat in your arteries. Um, if you, if you, if anything that you have in excess after a while, you know, or anything that you have in yourself constantly, you know, unfortunately, there's going to be a side effect, even if it's good for you. Um, so that's, I'll start off with that blanket statement and then I'll sell the point. The cup of tea works it does prevent pregnancy. The cup of tea is cost-effective. So we're able to provide contraception to a lot of women and make them have the choice when they want to, and when they want to conceive. It does provide an independent approach to managing contraception because now you don't have to take a pill. 
you don't have to remember to take a pill. If you miss a pill, you can get pregnant. And it's all also spontaneity. So I like those pros that it offers. Now, if you're hitting that, you know, patients complain about having spotting after putting it in a heavier period. Yes, those are side effects that can happen. Doesn't happen in a lot of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, it can happen in a small subset. And yes, they will sell the idea to everybody that that has happened. You do have patients who get recurring BVs or yeast infections. But I like to tell persons who have this that you have to remember, you know, you want to also check the partner. You want to do an STDs panel. You want to do a screening test because there are other things that can cause recurrent vaginal discharges not just the presence of the cup of tea, but yes, some people have complained that you get more um, yeast infections or mixed vaginitis or BV when this happens. Um, so I will start there and say, you know, yes, these are all side effects that we were taught in med school. And we should also make sure that we tell the patients that these can happen, reassure them that, hey, we can help you. We can adjust, we can figure things out. Like for instance, I've had patients who they put the cup of tea in, they come back to us spotting and you give them a round of, antibiotics and it's fine they're, they're, they move on and it does just well but i think a bit of reassurance after putting it in up to three months time that you can take three months of the body to adjust um you know compliance goes up but i think mm-hmm. the, the support system behind putting it in um maybe an area that can actually reduce patients actually having a problem in taking it out i think the issue that we spoke about earlier was actually what happens if the strings go missing right and i had a very interesting conversation <laughs> But that is that the strings go missing. I reassure anybody that the doctors can do an ultrasound. We can locate it. And there are ways that we can actually extract it in office. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't have to necessarily go to theater. And about migration. Migration doesn't happen in a lot of patients. It's very rare. But it can happen. And I reassure patients that it's very rare. It doesn't happen you know, to a lot of patients. But, you know, it can happen. Um, so if you ask me overall, the cup of tea, I like it. I put yeah. it in. I use it. And if complications do happen, yes. I adjust, I see if we can dance through it and find a solution to keep it in. And if we have to change, I, I move up the line to Marina, which has less side effects. Um, I have found, or, you know, uh, I should say, a levonorgestrel interuterine device. Right. To be careful. <laughs> <laughs> got to, yeah, got to. Um, because you have different ones on the market. Um, but I do go to the to that instead of a progesterone, for, the, for the, those who are listening that are layman, you know, a progesterone, um, device or hormonal cup of tea, if you want to say. Yep. I do go for that and I find that, you know, the side effects are even less with that. The only thing that me and you will be upfront is that there's additional costs. So the cup of tea can be had for a very, very, very affordable price. The progesterone IUD, you may have to pay a little fee. And I, was, I, would, I, I won't quote any prices here in this forum because I don't want to say I'm promoting this, this company for selling mm. it or something you discuss with your doctor. When you go to the distribution agency, you can find out what there's a little fee attached to it. But I like it because I'll say this overall that it's cost effective. Do you have to pay a fee upfront? Because when you work it out, you say it costs $20,000 to buy the device. If you buy birth control every month, the cheapest one, which is about $2,000 or one five, mm-hmm. every month for the same time period that this device lasts, it costs more over time. Mm-hmm. But people look at it and say, but that must spend the money little, little. But I'm like, yeah, but it's over time, you spend two times the amount. Yes. So I like to tell my patients who I'm converting to the the interuterine right. assistance. Yeah. Every time you buy a birth control pack, put on a thousand dollars. And when you hit the mark 
when I discuss the price or when I find out the price, so when you hit that market, come and check me out, put it in. And those who have done it, they're happy as a lark because now it, it, it gives them the independence, the, 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 the happiness of not worrying about, oh, I misappealed, I didn't misappeal. And also to an extent, the freedom. And I, I, I use the term very, very carefully, sexual freedom. And I think that's important women to have the sexual freedom of when they can have sex and you know importantly not having to worry about if they have an unplanned pregnancy yeah it was uh, i've done like three of those agent for people and though somewhat prohibitive forget for my patient population the ones i've done in there they were very 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 happy with it one young lady she had her blood pressure was up so the internist said it had to come out but if it were up to her they were controlling the pressure actually pretty good, but I'm not sure that was uncomfortable. So we removed it. And sure enough, her pressures are still around the same as when it was in there. So I, I don't really touch that topic much. I just do the other things that yeah. she asked me to, you know. We, we're running out of time here, but I just want to touch on this last topic of vaginal infection. And this... My, my, I have several questions, but the one that's been burning on my mind is, uh, although maybe I should just ask it straight, the candida yeast and BV, are they transmissible? Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. <laughs> no. You're getting me into hot water. So the first thing I'll say, um the vagina has what we call a mixed flora so you do have a group of bacteria that live in the vagina that help to clean the vagina help to keep the ph in the vagina and also kind of um fight off anything that may come up there and i say it's in a very layman term mm-hmm. um bacterial vaginosis can be caused by different bacteria and these bacteria live there and when they overgrow you get the doctor saying BV, but BV is not a bacteria. It's a it's different bacteria that can actually cause bacterial vaginosis. Um, so that's the first statement I'd like to say. Um, the next thing with yeast, yeast actually is in the vagina naturally. Um, they're in small amounts. It's just that if you have too many there in the field or too many, you know, multiplying or overgrowing, you can have... Um, Patients come with yeast infections. No, when the pH goes off in the vagina, there's a shift for whatever reason. There's an imbalance. You can get overgrowth of yeast and BV. Now, why I went into that verbatim is that I hesitate to say that yeast and BV is primarily, and I use the term primarily because I want to say English, and then I'm going to say what I need to say, primarily transmitted via sex. I would say that it can be. You can have yeast existing on your consort, your partner's um, genitalia, and through sexual contact with that person who has yeast or the BV, you can get overgrowth. But is it a sexual transmitted infection? Primarily, no, but it can be passed from partner to partner. So during treatment phases, I normally ask partners to abstain until treatment is completed, and then they can resume sexual intercourse. So you, you do not routinely treat the partner? I wouldn't, and I would say this very boldly. Um, no, I wouldn't 
don't pop and treat the partner. I normally tell my patients, please have your partner go and see their doctor and get fully checked out. And the reason why I am moving away from writing prescriptions for partners who have not examined is that there are other reasons why this person can present to me for BVNEs. And let's, let me shoot the bird in the bush. If the partner, if there are multiple sexual partners involved and this goes for either side, you can have it passing from partner to partner. Now, if a client comes to me and says, hey, obviously I think my partner has it fine. But what happens to the other partner? Are they treated? But if that person now goes to their doctor and tells the story, hey, listen, who they trust, they can say, listen, I'm a wife and I have this person. Or, you know, we have to be um, very careful because, you know, we, we do treat everybody. And it could be another female coming and say, hey, I'm in a relationship with another woman, but my husband, you know, so the idea is that if you don't treat everybody, you can have it just going back again, you know, being passed down the line. So I am very hesitant about that. And also I think that in, 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 in being holistic, there are other reasons why a person can have a mixed vaginitis or their discharge change. And I have to remember chlamydia and gonorrhea are one of those that can cause it. So I like to have STD panels done. I like to spend a little more time figuring out what else could be there to the story. Because sometimes, you know, as physicians, we can get in this loophole of just writing a prescription and not treating the whole situation, you know? And I find that when I do treat the situation, I get a better resolution of symptoms. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, th this is, I just want to hear your thoughts because that's what my, well, I did my little research I encountered. That's what the recommendation is. Well, it's, it, you will have some instances where you, you may get some transmission, but the amount you're not going to run and do that. You just won't be because if you, especially if you, if you have done testing and all of that, it, it really, there is no, there's nothing in the, there's nothing in the evidence that supports it. So it's such a touchy topic. And another follow-up, which I guess this will have to be my last question is, do you, or, and just generally, the STIs versus a BV, is there anything that you do in this? I know you're still generally a young physician, but you've been in the game long enough, based on your experience. Is there anything that you, you can, see clinically or on examination that somebody can look for to detect that difference because that's a, a common issue i have as well oh. so i'll answer the question yes and no um you do have ambiguous discharges meaning that you can look you see the classical symptoms of bv you see the grayish kind of discharge bubbles there you get the you do the whiff test yeah. on your bv but chlamydia can be there and chlamydia yeah. can be silently there and you don't know Gonorrhea could be there, but it's the early phase of gonorrhea. It's not reaching this shadow, it's yellow, it's thick, or she has arthritis or anything like that. Um, so I would say, yes, you can look at a discharge and assume a diagnosis. But I like to tell my patients, hey, I don't want to make an assumption alone. So, I mean, yes, I, I do give broad treatment sometimes, and I do cover patients who present recurrent BV for treatment for chlamydia and gonorrhea, um, especially when it's recurrent. And I do offer the patients at STD panel if they agree to do it. Um, but it's, it's, it's so, and I mean, <clears throat> also in your experience, I mean, you're a very seasoned physician also. You know, you have to be careful of how you assume um, what a discharge is. And also, 
you know, you don't want to just treat the discharge. You want to also dig up what else is going on. Because this could be the point where um, your, your patient has two partners and just is afraid to see. Because you can treat the discharge and then you miss the big boat that's hey, you probably need to treat two of your partners. Um, and I think that's very important about kind of managing discharges. Don't just get into the habit of quickly writing a prescription. Find out the story behind the discharge, whether it's going to be just because the patient has a hormone imbalance, PCOS, and could be getting recurrent yeast infections, or she could be diabetic, or the patient could be <clears throat> douching, washing out the vagina, using garlic, yeah. or foreign objects in the vagina. Um, I mean, I mean, I like to spend a little time asking little questions around it, you know? And also, I'll, I'll say this to physicians who are listening to the forum, it's very important to also do a speculum examination, not just a digital, not just hear the story or look on the perineum, but really look around because that's the point where you can find an old condom, you can find a garlic clove, you can find all type of things lodged in the vagina that's causing this recurrence or for an object or even worse, you can see signs of cervical cancer. You can see abnormal cervix or abnormal vaginal mass. Um, so, you know, there, there's so many ways <clears throat> a vaginal discharge can echo into other things that um, the role of the physician and also the patient comes into play and the rapport that they have. Um, because a lot of times you can miss the boat on what really is causing the problem. I just write a prescription and the patient's like, oh my God, I felt better for three days and came back. You, know? and you write another prescription and she's like, my God, every time I go, I just write a prescription. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, a very interesting question to ask. Um, but I like to remind people, it's kind of a holistic approach to managing a, a vaginal discharge, managing fertility for women, um, and managing expectations for women, you know? And why I say that is that we have to keep in mind that, you know, there are reasons behind stories, there are reasons behind decisions. And if we just hear the decision and we don't get the reasons, we probably can offer something a little bit better. So I like to echo to the patients, you know, go to the deep with your doctor, I mean, and um, get comfortable. And also for the physicians, hey, spend, if, if you see a patient coming back several times, that maybe the time you can intervene and say, let me talk to you a little bit, man. Tell me a little bit more about your life, your partner, or with your partner, you know? Or mm -hmm. tell me, you know, I, I have had, a, I have had, I mean, this is a, this is a, a good forum to even say that. I've had a patient who upfront told me about her real job. I'll leave it at that. Right. After, you know, a couple of times I started mm -hmm. this, job, like, no, no, no. May if I have a big man talk about what's happening, because I mean, I do all my testing, everything is normal, but you keep getting this. And she told me the truth, and I was like, all right, good. So you tell me the truth. So now we have a whole different schedule of how we manage things for her. And she's so happy because she says she's been to many doctors and nobody has even, doesn't feel comfortable about somebody even bringing up the topic or she bringing up the topic. So when I kind of read into the situation, I said, mm -mm there's something else going on and I want to have a conversation. And he created this kind of non-judgmental forum. She was so happy. So no, I don't even have to ask. She comes in, she knows what she needs to do. We get whatever testing needs to be done, treatment done. And she tells me the rest of the story. And I'm like, well, you need to reach out and get this done too. So um, I think, you know, uh, if I'm, I know we're coming to the end of the program. So I'll, I'll, even, <clears throat> I'll even take a message. Yep. I think rapport is a very important thing when you're managing these topics we discuss from it goes to abnormal uterine bleeding to discharges, fertility, and recurrent yeast, BV. Um, I think it's just a, it goes a far way. And I'll tell 
you know, both sides need to try to establish it, physicians and also the patients. So once that's established, I think that a lot of the questions we delved in today can be dealt with even better. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, Adrian. I, I think we have dealt with quite a bit here and I really appreciate what everybody does know is I've been trying to chat with Adrian for a few days well, I'd, I'd say into a couple of weeks. So <laughs> I'm so glad I will tell people when we're recording this, the time of day, but let's just say, you know, it was uh, late in the evening, let's put it that way. So <laughs> I thank you so much. And I, I really hope we can do a part to Adrian. Uh, yes. So we, we will aim for that and I will let you know. So on that, have a good night, sir. Thank you so much.